Hello and welcome to this We Did It.Health broadcast. At We Did It.Health, we're working to create a healthy, happy, vegan, and plant-based world. We're doing this through building community and offering resources such as today's discussion to help you create relationships where you'll plant seeds of hopeful curiosity in others when they ask about a vegan or plant-based lifestyle. We bring speakers from all over the world to share their wisdom and inspiration. So be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. We also invite you to join our community at WeDidIt.Health so you can connect with others and find support and encouragement with like-minded members. Links to our community will be in the description. So my name is Marikita Solis, a vegan empowerment coach and community engagement director of WeDidIt.Health. And I'm joined today with Dr. Angela Crawford, psychologist and also associate of WeDidIt.Health. Wow, thanks for introducing me, Marikita, and I'm so honored to be here today. Um, and we are super excited to introduce our guest to you. Um, and I just want to invite you as I'm introducing our guest, um, please feel free to post in the chat, you know, where you're coming from, and we love hearing from you throughout the chat. We're going to take questions at the very end, but feel free to put them in um, as we're meeting and we'll make sure to address them. So without further ado, I'd love to introduce Claire Mann. She's been an inspiration to me for quite some time because you know she's the vegan psychologist um, in Australia. And you know, I first learned about her soon after I became vegan because I'm yes, I'm a psychologist and I wanted to like just Google this term vegan psychologist and I found Claire Mann. <laughs> and then I learned about her work. Um, she's well known for many of us who are vegan because not only is she a psychotherapist, um, a psychologist, and avid animal advocate, she's also written a book that's been very meaningful for those of us in the, the vegan community called Vistopia, The Anguish of Being Vegan in a Non-Vegan World. And you know that will be certainly something she touches on today in her talk. She's written other books as, as well. Um, one that I'm about to read is Myths of Choice. Um, why people won't change and what you can do about it. Um, so just so happy to introduce you, Claire, and you know, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, it's my absolute pleasure. And um, thank you for reaching out to, to me after obviously we've known each other for a while, Angela. And, um, and the platform you've, you've got is just, I love it, we did it, <laughs> which of course is, and, and thoughts are things and words are very powerful, so this is, um, you're correct, I am a vegan psychologist, although I've been a psychologist for over 30 years and originally an organisational psychologist because working with animal protection agencies, developing groups, developing vision and culture change and those sort of things, I'm able to bring it to bear. But um, I decided after I became vegan um, 16 years ago now, having been a vegetarian for the previous 30 um, it was almost instant. I really wish I knew then what I know now. I would have been vegan a long time ago. And I realized how much pain and suffering there is, not about fussy diets, but knowing what happens to animals um, in a, the ubiquitous nature of it. And so I decided to call myself a vegan psychologist, as people were asking me to. But they don't call themselves that. And I'm encouraging them, because as we usher in this vegan world, we're going to need a lot of us to support each other. And I'm so pleased that both of you are out there working in the field, whether it's psychotherapist, counselor, 
coaching or psychologist, it's the same thing, is helping each other to, to mentor each other for this brave new world. So, so thank you. And uh, I'm happy to, to talk to your audience today. I can see lots of people are coming in from all over the world. We've got Puerto Rico. Gosh, we've got Sconia WA, which is Western Australia for me, but I imagine it's uh, Washington. <laughs> so, lovely. So, um, that's right. We've got Switzerland, Indiana. Very exciting. And, um, and this is the wonderful thing. I think I always say um, that a rising tide raises all boats. So think of the water going up that often we think we're on our own, don't we? That we're plugging away and why isn't the world becoming vegan? And actually, we're in this great big relay race around the world and all of us are contributing to it. And um, we have just have to play our part. And I'll be talking about that as well at the end of my presentation today of the power of collective action and thought. And I'll share some really cool stuff with us to, to do with some evidence that says that when we come together and we change our thoughts and through meditative practice, actually change happens in the real world. So let's pull out all the stops to actually to create the world we want to do. So whenever you're ready, I'm um, happy to go and we'll have questions. Wonderful. So I will just turn back here. Okay, that's mostly the one you've actually seen. So, so thank you for joining today and maybe you're listening to the recording. Um, the term dystopia is the anguish of being vegan in a non-vegan world. And what I'm going to do today is in three parts is to, to talk about that concept because whilst I came up with the term and wrote the book back in 2018, people still approach me about this um, and I still have to struggle less struggle these days, but transmute that dystopia into powerful action for change. So it's going to be in three parts. We're going to look at how do we become aware of that, move it through our bodies so that we're not becoming depressed, literally pushing it down by not actually turning it into powerful action for change. We'll look a little at why won't people change when we tell them this information? What can we do about that? And then I'm going to do a communication piece because where we can actually break the trance so that we're getting through to people and moving them along what I call the continuum of awareness to expand their awareness to that moment when they, the only imperative they have is to become vegan. So, and then I'm going to look at that collective action. So I can see people are commenting in the um, different area there, but just, um, I'd love to know why people became vegan. Okay, now vegan, of course, is a philosophy of the non-use and non-exploitation of animals, but people come to this differently. So if people just want to just put any comments in to just say, how did, was this through health? Was it concern about Mother Earth? Um, was it um, something that happened? I don't know if people are able to comment. I know myself, um, I was vegetarian for a very long time. And then I was sent something about the um, factory farming of pigs. And when I became aware of that and saw what was happening in New Zealand, where I was living at the time with some public cruelty, I looked further and then it was um, so it really, for me, it came through um, uh, animal suffering. So I don't know if people are able to put some comments in there. Here we go. I think people are just saying where they're from. So what I'll do, just hold that information. Many people come to this through very different things. But I think it's very important for us when advocating to other people is to be really clear about what veganism is, because 
I can just see Deb, you've just said for the animals, is it is a philosophy of the non-use and non-exploitation of animals, non-human and human as well, in its widest sense. And I think a lot of the problems we have is when we're talking to other people and they say things like, don't tell me what to do, you think you're better than me, we have choice. They're not really saying I have choice to be cruel to animals or not, or you know, you're telling me what to do, because who doesn't want to be not cruel, <laughs> so to speak? It's because they actually, we need to ensure that we're really talking about the same thing, but we can actually look at that. Someone's watched the, the documentary Dominion, very challenging one, absolutely devastated. I hear that, Tyler. It's, um, I'm sure all of us here have seen that. But once we, if you see that, and the challenge is, is how do we get people to, to actually make that emotional connection with the suffering? So the term that, um, and that I came up with, and I came up with it because so many people came to me with a series of symptoms that seemed to be different from ones related to other human struggles, is they were depressed, they were anxious, they didn't fit in anymore, they had a really real dislike for the human condition. And the biggest challenge that I then faced is doctors and psychiatrists started to send people to me that they said had three conditions. They either had eating disorders. Now, a vegan can have an eating disorder, um, but it's not related to the fact that they're ethically vegan. But these people were being categorized like that. I was also told that people were um, had social adjustment disorders because people didn't want to go home for Thanksgiving to see their families. And I put your hand up if that isn't a challenge. And thirdly, which concerned me most of all, particularly as people are now mentioning things like Dominion, psychiatrists were sending people to me. Um, this is really at the time of becoming a vegan psychologist. They just knew my name, so they didn't probably know I was one. They just thought I was a psychologist in working in a certain area in the city. They said that people had such low self-esteem that they were self-harming by watching videos like, like um, Earthlings and things. Dominion wasn't out at the time. I was absolutely horrified by that, of course, because not only is our suffering of knowing about the institutionalized suffering of animals so great, but how on then we're actually told we're the problem that we should really get with the program and 99% of the population are doing this, so why shouldn't we? So, I, I know I needed to come up with a term that to say what it is and what it isn't. And so many of you will know what that definition is. The reality is, before we go into it, is when we become aware of what is happening to sentient beings behind closed doors, testing labs, factory farms, military exercises, religious activities, etc., the fashion industry, everything changes. It's as if we've taken the red pill, if you've seen The Matrix. Okay, now, but it also relates to other areas, which I'll expand to at the moment, but the actual definition I gave, it is that internalized anguish of us knowing about the systematized cruelty towards animals. And then when we tell people this almost trance-like collusion with a dark and dystopian world of horror <laughs> that they're not even, they don't even know they're part of. They say, well, that couldn't happen. The government would never allow it. But then we say to ourselves, well, just a minute, if I didn't know about you know, over a trillion animals, if we um, count every crustacean, um, uh, which we should, is if I didn't know about that, what else don't I know? But then you're called a conspiracy theorist. So the fact that you've become curious, our anguish is so great because the aloneness is so, is, is very hard to deal with until we find out where they're not the only ones in the world. 
Okay. But that third stage is very important because we then say, well, you know, surely people will come vegan if I find a way to communicate it. Well, then we ask, well, we have to question everything. If we've been lied to about what we should be eating every day and it's good for us, number one, it's not. And number two, it's causing so much suffering. How can we trust politicians? Economics, we start to look at the food industry and we start to look at the, um, the enormous, you know, suffering in the third world starvation ocean dead zones we start to look at that all of these different areas have to look at medicine and health you know why are people so sick and after in the last 50 years how has that changed how has our these things happen we start to look at everything and speciesism of course we see it everywhere people love their dogs cats horses and and some others um and yet behind closed doors are the chickens and the um and the pigs and the cows, which are hidden. So we're transmute that into something. So what are the emotional reactions? And you might like to add some more in the in the sort of chat there. But when I've asked people, and I've said I've been doing research with the people over a long period of time, some of these may resonate with you, is there's enormous anger. How didn't I know this? How is this possible to happen? Now, I see anger is when something we really value is being violated. And so for the vast majority of the average people, they do not want to cause cruelty and suffering to animals. In fact, if anybody's read the book uh, Eating Animals by Jonathan Safran Foer, and I had a radio program many years ago, um, um, Voice America or something, Voice of America, I think it was not the really big one, but it was a smaller group. Um, and I interviewed Jonathan Safran Foer, and this was probably 15 years ago when I first became vegan. And he said that a survey, uh, a, like a census had been done in America, we don't know how near to that 15 years ago. And he said there was one thing and one thing only that Americans agreed on, that there should be legal protection against cruelty, for dealing with cruelty towards animals. Isn't that extraordinary? There was differences on everything else. I would think it would be the same in Australia and other places. So that people don't want to go around being cruel, but they actually, these industries work very hard for us not to know this. So if you get a chance to read that book, challenging as it is. So there's, there's anger at the injustices of what's happening, but also the lies we've been told. Enormous grief at the enormity of the animal abuse. We walk through the shopping mall, don't we? We don't see a leather couch, we see an animal's body. We don't see a normal cup of coffee, we see the dairy industry. And it's as if we've come out of the Garden of Eden to speak in Christian terms. There's a frustration at being unable to wake people up from the trance. How can they not see this? We should be able to tell them one thing and they should change. Now we really have to become exquisite communicators, which we'll also be looking at today. So. The alienation I still continue to hear about, and, and I know in one of the chapters in, in Vistopia, I say that what used to work doesn't work anymore. The close relationships you had with people, they can often seem trivial. We think, well, if they're not able, they won't look at the videos that I've seen. They won't even dare to come into my world and see this. Who are they? And so there's this breaking of relationships. There's disconnected families. Um, and all the time, you know, we want to scream, it's not about me, it's about, you know, the suffering that we're causing and we're being lied to. So, again, our language when we communicate this is going to be important. So there's a loneliness within the groups we felt part of. The trivial nature of what used to interest us perhaps doesn't. They can be, we often feel powerless to make things change. And I hope being part of this 
um, we did it program and others around the world, we actually, we certainly can do it. Okay, but we've got to start doing things within ourselves and also communicating differently. And we also feel powerless to affect um, change on a global level. We've seen massive change over the last three years. How on earth are we going over so much corruption and power sort of grabs and environmental changes? How are we going to make that change? And the reality is we just have to really, we're looking to change the dial. You know, it's almost like a kaleidoscope. Um, when we change things, everything comes out of that. We either cause cruelty or we don't. We either feel superior or we don't. Uh, and how are we going to communicate that? Great. Now, I've worked with many, many people over the last 30 years, but certainly in the last 15 with um, vegans. These are the sort of things people say if they don't deal with this anguish and this concerns around others and then this what else don't we know, there's enormous amount of guilt comes in is because people think they should be doing more. Okay, and I say we've got to be there for the long haul. So the animals need us sometimes to pull back and have very, well, they always need us to have high levels of self-care so we can advocate to them and their families um, over a long period of time. There's a lot of burnout I've seen, particularly in um, when people involved in street activism, undercover working in establishments or testing labs. There's a lot of physical illness because people often disregard themselves. And I would say, it's actually not vegan because we're we're animals too and we are the vehicles through which we're going to communicate we need to give ourselves really well and you've got all these other things that that happen as you can actually see on the list hopelessness self-blame disillusionment so we've got to find a way to transmute this into powerful action for change okay so let's have a look with the first little section you would have heard many of this before but i hope there's some new things here too we really do have to look after ourselves. You know, when people come to see me, they say, how do you remain so calm? I can assure you there are times when I'm almost in the fetal position in despair at some of the things that I've come to know. And then I find something else out. And I talk to activists and animal rights campaigners that have been, been doing this work for the last 30, 40 years. And they say, I'm still surprised at what I come across. I didn't know another category of animal. So. But how do I I've, how do I remain calm? Because I've learned to have strong, uh, build a strong foundation repeatedly. All of us need to do that, is so that we can transmute this and and put our energy rather than becoming depressed into powerful action. In fact, we are really needed. We're the ones we've been waiting for, ironically. Okay, but let's have a look. What what's sort of going on? We some people said they'd seen Dominion, or there's we've seen, you know. I'm just thinking recently um, coming across a dog in the back of a garden and the people have gone away for three months. How do you leave a Labrador in the back of a garden and the neighbour not intervening? And, and I'm going to be intervening myself, but it's a traumatic image or a set of circumstances. One then becomes angry. Is how is this possible? How can people be so unfeeling? Can't they see the suffering? It's very easy for us then to go into despair and hopelessness. Now, that, what then happens is particularly when we see undercover footage, what's happening in testing labs or factory farms or something like that. Those traumatic images are so great. They have a real visceral effect on our, our bodies, our psyche, our um, adrenaline and cortisol rushes through the body. We end up being angry. We then got despair. The challenge can come is then when we actually see a different image, it triggers this off because it's become neurologically connected. The thoughts, feelings, actions, hormones, 
Or we might become angry at something else and that can then trigger the thinking about the animals. Or we feel hopeless and despair, it links us back to the others. So all of these become what we call hardwired. hardwired. And neuroscientists tell us that it's all those little indentations we see in the brain, they actually form and reform relative to habits, attitudes, learnings, you know, extinguishing behaviors. And so they become what we call hardwired. So consciously, often we can't, or until we actually slow down our brain waves, remove this. So if you're actually getting, you know, some people, particularly at work in frontline work, unless they find a way to move this through the body, we can become stuck here. And then we become angry at the world, and then we're not as good communicators. Because as I'll show you in a moment, there's more going on inside the brain. So let, um, to actually demonstrate this, and I hope people are going to answer in the um, in the chat, I want you to think about, I'm going to demonstrate something. I want you to think about who was your favorite teacher at school? Just think about that. And most importantly, what was it about them that you liked? And how did they make you feel? Okay, if we can just have a few little answers in the chat there, perhaps Angela and Marquita can actually come in. I'm thinking of mine, it was someone who, uh, Miss Andrews, she was kind, she didn't pull rank on people, she didn't shame people, didn't have favourites, a lot of things she wasn't, but she was also, she took time, supportive, encouraging. Can anybody? No, perhaps it's, um, Hi, Marikita. Hi. Yep. Can you, both of you, let me ask you both while people are thinking about this. Who was your favourite teacher, Marikita? Mm -hmm. Well, I think Miss Moore comes to mind immediately. She was so warm and loving, and I always felt safe with her. And she always had a smile on her face. Yeah, absolutely. And Ashley said they're good listeners, and that's actually really key because that is um, empathic listening and active listening actually is what you know, influences children. What about you, Angela? This is I'm reading this one. Um, what's coming to mind for me is someone um, that was a professor actually in college who really kind of saw me, got me, and supported me um, towards key things that go. were important. Yes. So the people we like, they see us, they listen to us, they are present, we know they're, you know, encouraging, and they actually want to be there. Okay. All right. Who's the worst teacher? <laughs> Marikita. <laughs> Uh, well, there was a, um, uh, well, there was a coach, I want to say uh, like a PE coach and it was very mean and stern and I was scared. <laughs> yeah. It's how they make you feel. That's right. This is the thing. What about you, Angela? I think mine would be similar. Um, sort of a PE teacher that was not friendly and kind of, yeah, not warm. <laughs> yeah. Made me feel not enough. <laughs> That's right. It's how it makes us feel. So this is really interesting because I'm going to share some really cool stuff with you here. What do we like about our favorite teachers? Marty said something very important. It's how they treat us. It's how they feel. And without us knowing, it's what's actually going on in our brains at that time. Much of this is unconscious. Now, in a wonderful book called The Success Zone, um, a colleague of mine, John Cunningham, and two of his um, um, associates um, did research in both Melbourne, Australia and in the UK with children. I think they were about seven or eight years old and they got teachers to self-select on into two groups. The first group 
were, were to say that they absolutely loved what they were doing. It didn't matter if they were in an area that had real um, socioeconomic challenges, they didn't have much funding, it didn't matter if they were in a rich area or they'd been in there for 40 years or three years, they loved what they were doing, they still did it, and they were in the school, they were regarded by the teachers and then other teachers, they're doing a good job. The other teachers said, although we're doing a good job on the face of it, we really are over this, we want to retire, we're tired of the bureaucracy, we have difficult areas, kids don't want to learn, we can't get them off their phones. Well, at the time it wasn't phones, but um, I think it was in the beginning of the, in the early 2000s. Anyway, both of these teachers, the experiment was set up over large numbers where they had, they gave them exactly the same lessons, exactly the same number of children, same age group, same topic. And they said, we want you to present as if you're just giving a good lesson. What was interesting is what the results were. In the classes that actually where the teacher wanted to be there, the grades were higher, the assessments were reaching higher levels, the cooperation was great, less interruptions, more interaction in a productive way. In the groups where the teacher didn't want to be there, they had lower results, more interruptions, kids flicking themselves each other with rubber rulers and rubbers and, th and things like that. And they didn't do as well in their exams. Now, bearing in mind, these teachers are teaching exactly the same lessons, and yet the results were different. When they wired the brains of the teachers up, they found that the teachers that really wanted to be there, their blood was at the front of the brain. Okay, I think that's my next slide. Okay, at the front of the brain, what we call the blue zone. Okay, that's what he just, they just called it. The teachers that didn't want to be there, their blood gravitated to the back of the brain, the cerebellum, the more fight and flight area. But what was really cool in terms of a finding, when they wired the children up, their blood had gravitated to where the teacher is. Okay, there was a contagion effect. Now, what's the relevant for us, relevance for us as vegans? If we go to talk to people and we're putting on a nice smile and we pretend that we're listening, but we really are enraged about the fact we, they won't watch Dominion, our blood is going to the back of the brain and it has the potential to get them, their blood to go to the back of the brain. When that happens, like the teachers we didn't like, that's what's happening, is there's that contagion. People are defensive, they're competitive, they don't listen, critique becomes criticism. When our blood is at the front of the brain, we're, imagine when you're with people that you like and other vegans and you really get each other or a close friend, we are blood, we're open to different ideas, we listen more, we act, engage more, we're not so defensive. So isn't this really cool? So if so, doing the self-care is going to be really important is how do we keep the blood to the front? Because we can't get away with it. We can put on a nice smiley face and pretend to be calm. But if we're not and we resent the other person and think they're selfish and only not changing because they're too self-centered, we are going to, they will not be able to listen to the information and they're likely to, to say the normal laundry list of rubbish they normally say, like the government would never allow it. You can't tell me what to do. We need meat to survive. You know, the normal list we have. Okay, so this is really important. So I hope that is given, I don't know anybody knew any of that stuff, but when I came across that, it's so relevant for us advocating. All right, so the question is, is how do we, because not only is this happening, and then we've got this sort of, um, sort of hard wiring, because hard wiring is really where those indentations are becoming overexposed, over repeated exposure of what we're seeing and thinking and feeling. 
is the nerve cells are sort of wiring together and they fire together and then those we become we try consciously to change but we can't change our thoughts and feelings and but there are ways to do this okay because nerve cells that no longer fire together no longer wire together so how do we break the connections so we're not triggered by new information that sets us off and then we feel the world's a terrible place and we can't do anything okay so so first thing is awareness that we it's becoming aware that actually there's far more going on inside of us than you know our conscious thoughts being able to control we want to extinguish those associations of um you know as soon as we see something we become angry and then we go oh it's a lost cause why are we bothering humans are terrible and we want to create new neural pathways and in the process learn ways to keep the blood at the front and be in a state where people can lean forward okay and i always say advocating about veganism is a bit like kissing you can't kiss someone who's leaning away from you so we want them to come forward okay so just have that little visual in your mind all right so what are the strategies for change now both angelo and marita in their work will be using different techniques and there's many many more of these is but i really do advocate meditation is because in the process we are slowing down our brain waves and then we're more susceptible for change. Some people do hypnotherapy, but I'm all about self-hypnosis, is actually how do we reconnect neural pathways that enable us to move to a place which is empowering so that we can then be the vehicles for change, but also something called emotional freedom technique. So let's have a quick look at these. Is This is an image from uh, Joe Dispenza. I don't know if you've ever seen any of his work, but think of this as... Um, for when we're in our at the top of this picture this circle at the moment we're probably sort of mid beta in other words if we were to wire ourselves up and see the brain activity it's fairly it would be like a wave like this okay when we're really under pressure and we've got a deadline or we're late for work or whatever it starts to move like that on the screen if we were to wire ourselves up when we are more relaxed and with friends we go into low beta and during the day we might daydream for instance and then we think oh gosh i must think about or it might even be when you're listening to a call we drift in and out sometimes particularly if we're not able to interact in that sort of way with the material is all of that in the beta stage is really our analytical mind when we slip down in our brain waves when wired up start to show a wider sort of expansion and we slip into alpha we go to theta delta and then of course we fall asleep if we're falling asleep but when we meditate we actually move down into our brainwaves slow down and we are able to through guided visualizations to create a vision of a future that we want to create but we also teach ourselves emotionally what it is like to be in the vegan world how often are we spending our time about what we don't want when we really spend time working towards the world we want and for animals for people for our planet for our health um, but we can start to do that now so that we're, when we engage with people outside, we are so able to, to slip into that state and influence others to change. All right. So I'm going to encourage you to do that is there's actually a, a guided meditation based on these neuroscientific principles that I've created on the veganpsychologist.com or slash meditation. So I'm going to get, encourage you to do that. Meditation is one of these. The next one I'm going to talk about, which some practitioners like and some don't, is called emotional freedom technique. I don't know if anybody in the chat has come across this. Um, 
it's commonly known as um, people might know it if they've been to a naturopath or something as tapping. So it's tapping on certain parts of the body while we're saying certain things. Now, I explored that and I thought, where's the kind of evidence for this? But what I did know is when I started using it, it worked. So I started to do a lot of research around this and to very quickly tell you, if I may, I hope we're good on time here. <laughs> it's um, emotional freedom technique. Imagine someone has been a terrible tsunami or something in a particular town or something in, a, in Indonesia and the whole town's been washed away and there's a few people left standing. The aid worker goes in there and says, so let's talk about what happened. I think we can all imagine that the person would be in so much shock and trauma, they probably wouldn't even hear the question. And however, we need as interventionists to help that person to move it through their body or else it turns into post-traumatic stress um, reactions. Okay, so instead what emotional freedom techniques does, I'm not going to um, demonstrate it now, although I know it's incredibly powerful, is we ask people to say, what, what are they feeling? Okay, what, what's your reaction? I feel numb, I feel dead, I feel I want to die, which is probably what they would be saying. And so we work because that is a word that's been given to a multitude of feelings, reactions. And then what we do is get the person through making connection with their physical memory is by tapping on the body to actually move through that by tapping on certain parts of the body. I think our acupuncture friends and acupressure people would say it's specific meridians. I believe they're chakras, different energy fields. But the key thing is that we're making physical contact with the body. Then we teach someone to move to actually, um, by tapping, becomes a new trigger to actually resurrect um, and to bring to the fore times when they felt safe, they felt empowered, okay? But without going into the story, okay? Now, we hear, it's a very quick way of doing this, and I know we haven't got a lot of time to go into this, but I really encourage you to look at this. You can also contact me, and I could send you a video, is there, if we learned tomorrow that the world's gone vegan, that is what we call a positive external trigger, okay? And we probably would smile immediately. When we hear something horrible happening, it's a trigger to be negative, okay? Emotional freedom technique, when we teach ourselves emotionally to move from less empowering to more empowering, less empowering, more empowering, but not just through our brains, our disembodied world of ideas and thoughts, we make connection with the body that tapping becomes a trigger to unconsciously mention to the body almost that actually we're moving into the positive. So for instance, I've emceed Dominion three times at the original launch, each time got worse, but I used this technique throughout because I'd already taught myself to actually bring myself and resurrect that state of safety, calm. If not, I would have been running out of the room by the third time, as I'm sure other people would be. Okay, so please go and look at that because all of this is about bringing our blood to the front of the brain, bring ourselves to calm so that we can advocate and be, firstly, not hold all this in our bodies, but also to then be able to access our frontal cortex to be able to communicate more effectively. Okay, thank you for the feedback we're getting here. Gosh, we could be on here for hours with so much to do. So the self-care, we've got meditation, we've got, um, we've got uh, emotional freedom technique. And I just wanna say something about the nervous system and both our other trainers would know this here, the power is in the breath, <laughs> okay? When first thing we do, when we've had a shock or something or somebody is upset about something, we say, sit down, here's a glass of um, water, just breathe, slow your breathing down. 
We know to do this intuitively, okay? Now, but this thing's going on. When we're under shock or we've seen that image or we have a little bit of bad news and we're upset about animals, is our sympathetic nervous system clicks in, releasing adrenaline, cortisol, and it's sympathetic to the fact that we're under attack. Okay, that can be a memory. That can We don't have to see something externally. We resurrect something. When we slow our breathing down, it activates the parasympathetic nervous system, which brings us back into balance. So by learning to slow down, breathe, have a level of positive self-talk, self-soothing, to tell ourselves it's going to be okay, I can work through this, you know, the world is becoming vegan and every action we're taking. We use things like meditation, we use emotional freedom technique, we're passing this through the body, but the power really is in the breath. So I know I'm moving quickly, but think about the things you do is this is so important for us to remain grounded and have a strong foundation. The advocates of a whole food plant-based diet, you know, um, having a vegan diet is great in the sense where we've moved a long way, but our bodies are meant to have whole foods, okay? Your energy levels, your microbiome, and get influenced by the power of real nutritious, where we can and when we can afford it, organic food, growing our own if we can, even on a balcony or a windowsill, is the gut microbiome um, is responsible for, and I don't have the data in front of me, 80, 90% of serotonin, which is one of our happy hormones, okay? And that's really important. So let's, you know, resource ourselves as much as possible. Find an exercise that resources you, that you enjoy. Is it yoga? Is it running? Is it walking our companion animals? And make sure you've got downtime, particularly the people that are going out there and doing, you know, frontline work, you know, people standing vigils or do cubes of truth or come away from work when they've tried to share something and there's, excuse me, been pushback. And um, getting social support, you know, that is one of the biggest things in any trauma. Have a great burden of knowing and um, have some social support with people you're able to debrief with, but then also who move you to the place of, you know, what can we do? <clears throat> what can we do? <clears throat> Excuse me. Have wider interests. I garden, I sew, I cook, I, you know, walk. Um, I like watching documentaries. Have things outside your vegan activism that resource you and make you the vegan that you wish you had met before you become vegan, okay? And please do some meditation and find those resources. All right. And, right, moving on. So these are really important. So we also ask ourselves as part of dystopia is, okay, well, I can actually learn ways to pass this anguish through my body so it's not becoming depressed and held in the body. I can resource myself. Why is it that people don't change? We should tell them one thing about a baby calf and they should become vegan right away. And for people that kind of become vegan on the spot, it's really difficult, isn't it, to, particularly when they've come across the animal social injustice, if we come through health or other areas, it takes us a while to sometimes learn that bigger picture. But we, we think, why won't they change? And there's, when I talk about the communication in the moment, I'll give some examples of People aren't mostly psychopaths. <laughs> we tend to think they're selfish. Why won't they do it? There's lots of psychic defenses. We're telling it's often so shocking. Why didn't I know this? How can this be allowed? How is it possible? What am I going to tell my family? You know, gosh, I'm having difficulty communicating with people anyway, but now you want me to really become this old person. I'm going to be laughed at. Aren't they all, you know, vegan hippies with tattoos? There's all sorts of stereotypes. So people often resist. And 
I know Angela and Marquita would know this, is the psychic defenses people have to not even allow this to come into their awareness. And if you're a vegan that thinks, oh my gosh, I'm, you know, I'm lying awake thinking at night about this. How are they able to live with this? People are able to compartmentalize, not only about veganism, about many things, jobs they don't like, relationships that are bad for them. We're a strange breed, human beings. Um, but also let's hold that possibility. And the miss of choice is really all about this, if you wanted to go deep on that. But but therefore, how if they're difficult for them to change with their limitations, how can we communicate more effectively so that we come away from every interaction knowing that we have pushed them in the right direction? You know, number one, it's, we get interest, don't we? When someone says, gosh, I'm really, gosh, that's terrible what's happening with dairy cows. I didn't know where milk came from. We think we've got a, a willing listener and we want to push them all the way to that moment when they go. Veganism. And then we get frustrated and they go, oh, don't tell me anymore. <laughs> Our blood goes to the back of the brain. We get a bit annoyed. See that they're on a continuum of awareness and we're going to meet them at different points. One area is, I never, you know, they're out there, and acting cruelty themselves probably or in a recreational way and not yet to know other people perhaps have been vegetarian for a while or they're they've stopped eating certain foods but they actually haven't realized that it's much more than what we put in our mouths is we've got to meet them where they're at okay so our communication becomes really important now i know um when people i was asking people about their favorite teachers a lot came up about it's the people that listen to us okay now, what those researchers also told us is that what brings the blood forward in the brain is empathic and active listening. We really feel we're being listened to and people are curious about what we're saying. Then we kind of lean forward. OK, this is the same thing with managers we like and, and ones we don't. OK, the ones that listen, get us involved. Don't ask us to do a task and then take credit for it. These are very much like similar teachers. And so. We, what we don't want to be is preaching to people because they're going to feel like we felt when we had a teacher we didn't like. So let's be by actually listening more and doing less of the talking. We are getting them leaning forward and more able to change, move along the continuum. So thank you for this lovely feedback for you know people that have come on the call. So just a few tips here. And we're going to have questions and I'm really aware of time. I'm, I hope I'm not going on too long. I call it the 10 percent rule. OK, is let other people talk for 90% of the time when we're outreaching and us give feedback for the 10%. It may not be, it might sort of, it'll move more for us to say more. But less is often best because when people, we get the words to come out of their mouths, they have to connect with this. Okay, the material. Whereas if we're telling them, do you know what happens to animals in factory farms? And we give them this listening. If we say to them things like, are you aware of what goes on? They go, oh, well, not really. Um, I saw something. So well, what do you know? We want it to come out of their mouths because when people bring this out of themselves, they have to get some sort of association or image. And we've got a greater chance that they will connect with the emotion of the suffering rather than us telling them. We've all talked to people haven't we? and they go, oh, don't tell me. And we get really annoyed. We mustn't be annoyed. They are nearer to veganism than we realize. Okay, it's the ones that are indifferent. We go, nah, see that, don't care. <laughs> Very few people behave like that. And sometimes if they want to say something so outrageous because they think we'll just go away. <laughs> okay, and there's a way to answer that as well. 
So let's have a little. Let's go through these, and I'll just give you some examples. And there's we're going to be coming up with something at the end where we're going to give you some um, some training. That is, and I'll build on this if you really want to become an explicit communicator and to advocate, but also so that we come away feeling more energized and able to do this. Rapport is essential. Now we've all talked to someone about the issues, haven't we? And all of a sudden it all goes a little bit strange and they start resisting or they come up with a laundry list of excuses and we start hurling information at them because we think we've got that audience. Rapport is that lovely ease. It's based on trust. It's based on people believing we really are interested in their perspective, okay? Give people room to say where, why they're, where they're at sort of thing. And I say, don't do all the heavy lifting. So let me give you an example of that. Um, the other example I can actually come up with here. Um, let's, okay. I went into an op shop, like a charity shop that was selling. I, I bought all recycled things. I like to do that. And um, I remember walking in there and someone said, oh, this is Claire. She's a vegan psychologist. To which this member of the public said, well, I don't care. I'm a carnivore. Okay, now just imagine the reaction we're going to get to that. My initial reaction, I'm sure the blood started to move to the back of the brain, and I really wanted. But I was really on my game that day, and I calmly said, oh, that's interesting. I said, can I ask you a question? Okay, very important. Get people to say yes. It's almost if we come forward. She said, well, yeah, if you want to. I said, um, what an interesting response to a job, job title. I said, if I had told you that I was a Christian psychologist, would you immediately tell me you were atheist? <laughs> okay. And then she started to get annoyed and said, well, you can't tell me what to do. Am I, you know, we, we've always eaten meat. And I said, that's fair enough. I said, but you might like to consider what it was that made you respond in that way. Okay. I wasn't doing all the heavy lifting. Okay. I'm a vegan psychologist. Well, I'm a carnivore. It has nothing to do with it. It's giving us a clue that she it's tapping into something else okay because if i said well i'm a bookkeeper she's not going to go well i don't believe in the tax man you know it's <laughs> well she might say that as well of course but um can you see what i mean is that number one meet people where they're at when we're breathing we're meditating we're having strategies to help ourselves we're keeping our blood at the front of the brain we're able to respond like that okay don't do all the heavy lifting i got her to do the work and then i stopped at that point you might like to think what it was that made you think that way all right so and i left her with it she was uncomfortable but it didn't matter because next time she goes vegan she probably is going to remember that because there was an emotional response in her okay our learning is often profound when there's an emotional connection all right now we also have to be curious and ask questions is if someone says um I'll give you another example. I was out with a girlfriend on a trip I've recently done, and we went into a shop, and my friend had a, a T-shirt on that said vegan. And this woman said, oh, isn't that wonderful? I, um, I'm trying to be vegan. To which my friend, who was just come from an outreach, a vigil in front of a hospital doing animal testing, against animal testing, was so pleased. She ran up to the woman, gave her a hug, and said, that's fantastic. At that moment, I have to say, I kind of cringed because she was losing the opportunity. She had no idea why that woman said she wanted to be vegan. She might have wanted to lose weight to get into an outfit for her son's wedding. So question, question, question. I said, excuse me, can I, you said you're trying to be vegan. Um, 
Chrissy, what do you understand by vegan? Okay, nice open-ended questions. And then she said, well, for me, it's all about the animals. So already we've got an understanding. It's not the wedding, it's the animals. And I said, yes, yeah, so you said you've been trying to. What makes you want to do that? Oh, I've become aware of the suffering. It's absolutely terrible. And, and yet it's too difficult. I can't do it. And I said, that's interesting you say that. So what's difficult? I kept asking her questions to get all that puff out of her almost. So by the end of it, and my friend said afterwards, oh, gosh, I've got to learn to communicate like this. Because the woman told us it was about animals. She found it was difficult because she was a Turkish lady and she had all these traditional dishes. And everybody on this call knows the eating and the cooking is the easiest. You've got to eat a million times better. But that was her belief. And then she had to negotiate with her family. So be curious, ask questions. And I also said to my friend, you had kind of done, you had, number one, you would assume it was for ethical reasons, which it actually was, but it could have been for something else. But also I got, oh, that's fantastic, well done. She kind of reinforced the factors, keep trying. You know, you're doing well, baby steps. What we want to do is move her along the line so she finds it more uncomfortable to live with her espoused values and her actions which is, I don't like the suffering, yeah, I'm still kind of eating this and I'm trying to do my best. We want to agitate the pain in a way, but not in a way where they shoot the messenger, that they say, I need a solution. Uh, we don't want to shame them, but we want to make it, and the best way to do it, let it come out of their mouth. So then she makes the connection with that. All right, so these are just techniques, and let's say we've got some training for you that you'll be able to access um, free charge in terms of the main training. So help people also connect with their comments. All right, um, another quick example, because I think examples are best. I'm out walking with my um, my rescue companion animal. There used to be more, there's only one left now, there's room for more coming. Um, and we all have that type that we're out there walking and someone drops to the floor, plays with the dog and says, I love animals. Okay, what do we want to say as they're holding their McDonald's burger? We want to have a go at them and say, you know, well, you obviously don't. You know, is that going to help them or is their blood going to zip to the back of the brain? So what I said, I, this is my answer, it's a good one, I think. The person goes, oh, I love animals. I say, that's fantastic. I love meeting vegans. And they go, well, I'm not vegan. I go, well, how does that work? Then they have to ask me a question. Well, what do you mean? Isn't that one of those fussy vegetarians? Hold up the streets, you know, when they do the protest. I say, actually, it's not. Do you mind if I tell you? Again, I want them to say yes. Most people know this when they're selling cars. Yes, I do, you know, I'm just not asking you, but it doesn't matter, get them to say yes. And then I say, well, given that a vegan is a philosophy of the non-use and non-expectation of animals, she really need them. <laughs> you see what I mean? And I said, um, that person, but then I sort of smile when we talk about the, the, the Cosmo. Do you see what I mean? It's it's a trance breaker. We're tra breaking the trance. But we have to do it not with sarcasm or anger. We do it in a curious way that gets people going, oh, <laughs> okay, we break the trance. Because as people stay in their logic, we want the emotional connection. All right? I hope this is helpful. And um, right, I'm going to because we want to have some questions. Um, all right, so we'll come back to you about the communication in a moment. But I just want to say I've got about three or four more slides. Angela and Marquita, do I have time to do these? I, we've got time? Yes, we do. Fantastic. Okay, so we've looked at some self-care and self-awareness. We've looked at what's happening in the brain and what we need to do. We're going to match that with communication, and that is a lifelong process. And we're going to help you further in doing that. The fact that you're even here means you're out there in the world making change. So thank you. The third one is something we mustn't forget. 
It's the power of group intention in creating the vegan world. And this is what I absolutely love about the We Did It platform, because they have this philosophy. They wrote some really cool stuff I'm going to talk to you about. <laughs> now, you might have heard about this fellow. Gosh, look at his long hair. He's called Christian Hugens, and he talked about the process of entrainment. And I'm going to get you to do something after our session and go onto YouTube and have a look at this. I wrote about him in the book, Vistopia. Now, he was a clock maker or a clock um, sort of mender sort of thing. And he had lots of those, you know, those old, those old grandfather clocks with a great big pendulum that would swing like this, okay? And he would have a lot of them in his um, house or in his studio. And they were big clocks, small clocks, old clocks, younger clocks, all of different things, but all the pendulums are swinging. They're not like our modern digital um, things, beautiful clocks. One day, as the story goes and how he talked about it, he came in and he found that all the clocks, were, all the pendulums were going together, okay? And he presumably asked other people, how do you get them all to go together? They said, well, we haven't done anything. Okay, so what he did is set up experiments and situations to put large numbers of grandfather clocks together with all the pendulums swinging at different levels. And over time, he found that they all went together. Now, he came up with a, a, a word called entrainment. I think he's the first person who used it. But it basically is where two or more oscillating bodies synchronize over time. So these clocks, without any human intervention, it's a phenomenon of physics, really, is they literally start to oscillate together over time. But the really cool stuff is this happens in biology, architecture, engineering, but it also happens in society. At the moment, our world is in training towards what I'm going to call a death culture. What we eat, what we do, there's aggression, there's fear, there's destruction, there's wars. It's because people are in training to a certain way that is reinforced, that actually there's scarcity, there's loss, where people are greedy, human nature's awful. We're over here in a vegan movement trying to oscillate with our little pendulum, and we're saying, well, when are they going to come across? The wonderful thing is we don't have to get everybody to wake up, so to speak. Consciously, people entrain to something else. Okay, that's why there's growth. And it's almost when we reach a certain tipping point that actually a large number of people come across. Haven't we seen the vegan movement grow over a period of time? More people become vegan. The actual word being known. I actually became vegan before I knew what a vegan was. I thought it was a fussy vegetarian. <laughs> and then I thought, wow, there's a word for this, which is great. Now, this is really cool because where are we spending our time? What are our thoughts? What are our feelings? Are we moaning to other people about how terrible the world is? Or are we in training and doing our meditation for a visual world we want to create? Okay, go and have a look at that afterwards on YouTube. Put in entrainment metronomes. And you will see in front of your eyes, lots of little, little clicking machines, they're all doing this and in front of your eyes, they will all start to go together and you'll go, how does that happen? All right, so the lovely thing is, is um, we've got this, I don't know, a simple level or an individual level, we've got the flow in the brain, we've been trained, there's contagion, but also in our society. So there is a huge benefit before we even open our mouths to advocate, it's to to what we think, what we feel, what we talk about. Now, we need to share some of the challenging things we have, but to move quickly into a vision of the future we want to create. Now, two more slides I'm going to show you. It's also go online and have a look at the studies in transcendental meditation. 
Um, I don't know if anybody does that here, but it's when they've had large numbers of people, like 10,000 people or whatever, there's times over history where they've done this, they get people to meditate together on just generally meditating. And they're finding that's, that was correlated with changes in the physical happenings in the world, like wars, like lootings, like um, destructive things. And when they stopped meditating, there was a shift again, noticeable enough to say the, there was a correlation. Okay, you didn't show any cause and effect though, but go and have a look at that because it also says when we are visioning and meditating for peace in larger numbers, it has the power to affect the outer world. Now, the transcendental meditation studies were criticized in some way to say, well, there's only correlation. Now, how do we know that wouldn't have happened anyway? So, and this is really cool, the Peaceful Cities Project did experiments where research was carried out in the 80s and 90s that showed an unexpected effectiveness of meditation when people were focusing on peace in preventing social violence when it was conducted in US cities. Sorry about this long sentence. It was able to prevent terrorism and war when it was conducted on behalf of the cities affected by armed conflict. It's a very long sentence. Now, what it basically meant is they set up experiments. In other words, they had controls, which the transcendental didn't. They literally had people, say it was in East LA, okay? Well, they focused on just chosen any other place or New South Wales, Australia. They actually got people to focus collectively. They brought them into a meditative state, brought them down into the alpha state, and they focused on peace in this area. They also had groups that were just genuinely meditating, okay? Not for peace in this area. So they had a control, it sort of controls. And you can read about this, um, it's, it's the peer reviewed research on this. But what they found is when they meditated, there was reductions in the social violence, lootings, carjackings, attacks in the street. And when there was literally armed conflict in war zones, large enough numbers of people meditating specifically for peace in that area, reduced the conflict for the period in which they were meditating. I don't know about you, but I think that's really cool. Okay, now go and have a look at it. There are more than 23 scientifically peer-reviewed articles, um, studies on this, which have been published in journals. You can actually see it there. It's peacefulcities.org. Hopefully people will read that with the research there. So what we do it collectively, when we come together with other people, we become a force to be reckoned with. When we focus on the world we want to create, to create, instead of shaming and blaming people for the things they do, <laughs> is to create that vision. And see the better, you know, meditate for peace. We have the power to change this, okay? Instead of not just what we don't want, what do we want, all right? So in conclusion then, it is our thoughts and intentions, when they're congruent, in other words, we align ourselves, the blood comes to the front of the brain, we are focusing on the best that human, humanity has to offer, it can affect our outer reality. But we have to, the outer is the inner, okay? It's not just our group intentions, it's our individual intentions, all right? In terms of not only willingness for people to listen, but we all know when we're with someone that we feel safe with, those teachers we like. Let's be those people, even though the people we come across, their behaviors are different. Okay, so I think then I have just got, and in terms of, um, I'll move into questions in a moment, but in terms of becoming that better communicator and getting all this stuff in order, we have a program called Vegan Voices, 
And I say become a vegan conversation expert in five minutes a day. You'll be able to access it there free of charge. But I'm now collaborating with the We Did It platform to do some really cool stuff to bring in the power of group intention. So I'm going to pass back to you wonderful ladies. And I um, talked for an hour. I hope that's okay. Thank you, Claire. That was very insightful. And it's very inspiring. I feel very hopeful after hearing all these solutions. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, no, it was amazing. And so many wonderful comments um, in the chat. I did put um, Dr. Claire Mann's website on there so that you can check out the veganpsychologist.com slash courses slash vegan dash voices um, to get her free 30 day program where you get a video that's a very brief video, like a minute or two. Um, you know, maybe three or four that covers a different topic each day and um, very, very helpful for how to handle some of these challenges of communication. So I really invite you. Yes, and there will be a recording. Um, someone's asking about that. And, you know, so if you missed part of this talk and or you want to go back and catch some of it because there was a lot of rich information, you can catch the recording. So let's take a look at some of the questions and comments and do feel free. Um, Marikita, are we able to go over an hour by a little bit? Um, oh, that's fine, yes. I'm yeah. done. Okay, so, so we'll take a little bit more time to, you know, if you have questions that maybe you haven't mm -hmm. asked yet, and I'm going to look back at some of the comments that came in earlier. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one person, you know, Tyler said, the hardest thing for me is my younger sister, who is very against being vegan, who is otherwise a very compassionate person. I feel very disconnected from my family now and don't know what to do. That's a really hard thing, isn't it? Um, oh, yeah. You know, Tyler, you know, gosh, all of us have heard this, I'm sure. I have a sister that, um, herself, or brother, sorry, who says, you know, he thinks I'm in a cult. <laughs> now, if you'd say, your sister, you've actually got a way in there because she's not really resisting being compassionate, is she? What she needs to do is to expand that window of compassion. So using the communication skills, I would be asking her far more questions about you know, what she is compassionate about. How come you're so concerned about refugees or you know, the environment or you know rescuing the cats from next door? Um, and really get her to connect with her compassion. And then actually use words like we and go, hey, look, you know, I'm really pleased about all the stuff you're doing. It's, you know, we all need to, I wish people would care more about people. You could, you know, really reinforce her truthfully as well. She's doing some great stuff and say, but you know, the reality is, you know, we've all kind of been kept in the dark really about the extent to, you know, how we're colluding with things that we don't even know we are. The word we is very powerful. It means that we're all in this together and the, the person lying to us is the media or the government or an industry. It's not, you know, your sister's in the bad and, and you're all born again, you know, vegan sort of thing. So I would connect with her compassion and then say to her, and also be tentative. And I use the word bewildered. I'd be saying, well, it's great what you're doing, whatever. And thank you. You know, it's, you know, all of us are doing similar work, say so that we want a better world here. And yet I'm a little bit confused. I'm kind of bewildered because. At one level, you, you really feel these powerful humans, which I think is so it's essential. However, when I mention other animals or that things we could do to not cause suffering, it kind of push back against me. What's going on? Okay, so you're very tentative. And you don't ask somebody why. 
if we ask why or don't you do it, they usually give us a defensive response. When we ask what, you get information and you get her to talk and connect with that. And just let lay those little pearls of wisdom down. So yeah, it is difficult, isn't it, Tyler? Very, especially with nice people, even good people doing bad things. How can they do this? Yeah, just a, a positive comment just to share with you. Stephanie Harder, who is um, a coach for vegan coaches, um, helping them with business, running mm. their vegan business. She's just really excited to see you here. So I just oh, wanted to share that. I know her. <laughs> I've seen her for many years. I think I've been on her great podcast. That's right, coaching like you give a damn. <laughs> It's eating like you give a damn. There's lots of, there's just so powerful these two, you know, these phrases that get people, yeah, I could actually look at that. Yeah, that's <laughs> Thank awesome. you for that. Just people from all over, which is wonderful. You know, Roseanne mm. from Detroit and David mm. from St. Pete and Jules Jeffrey, who must know you mm. from Melbourne. Um, oh, so really wonderful. Hi. <laughs> and, uh, Miriam and Marty and Chris. So great to see a lot of you here. Yeah. So let me see. Here's another one. Um, maybe we can look at a comment in response to some of what you were sharing from Chris. Showing compassion to non-vegans allows them to let down their defenses, enabling them to learn and embrace the call to stop harming our fellow creatures. Yeah, well said, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Because we've all been lied to, haven't we? It's And I always say, if people didn't know um, people go, how didn't I know this? You know, or gosh, you're telling me, surely they would tell us. You know, there is a naive often a belief in, in what we're told without question. And I say, if you don't know, you don't know it's because someone's working very hard for you not to know. Okay, but now we do know, we've got to ask, how can we do that? So Chris sharing, it can be very difficult to turn off our own anger, especially toward our family members because we expect them to be better. Uh, I can understand yes. that feeling. <laughs> the irritation we feel is like, you know, and that they come back at us and say, don't tell me what to do. You think you're better than me. And all this, you want to scream, as I said earlier, it's not about me. It's, you know, or I don't want, I, I respect your values. Isn't that one that gets our back up, Chris? You think, I don't, want, I don't need you to respect my values. I need you to respect the animal and stop paying for their suffering or drinking the milk or they're taking the babies away. You know, it's, but, if we can, but when we're angry, it's because something we value is violated, isn't it? And yet, that, as we've been reminded, it affects their willingness to come forward. So we've really got to work on ourselves. And I believe you, me, we're all works in progress. I can assure you, I, I'm not always as calm. <laughs> but if we, by the way, perhaps I could say that. If you know when you're talking to someone and you say something and then you go, oh well, it's up to you then, be sick or something. We we have that moment where we say something awful. What I do is you want to pull that back, but you also don't want to apologize for what you're telling them. And I go, whoa, gosh, I am so sorry. You know, that was mean and that was vicious. And I apologize for that. However, what I do not apologize for is sharing this information because what's happening to those animals in those cages is nothing relative to us. Right. So you've separated the fact that you overreach and you were mean because you, you know, were upset. But I used to say, but what I'm not apologizing for is sharing this because I really wish someone had told me this 40 years ago. Yeah. Um, yes. Um, I think this might be from Trisha, I'm guessing. Um, the part yeah. of dystopia when you spoke about the pendulum effect gave me so much yeah. faith that people more people will awaken. Yeah. So yeah. so you shared about that in the book too. I'd kind of forgotten. Yes. 
yes the entrainment and uh yeah it's encouraging it because it honestly if we thought that we had to speak to everyone they had to come to a conscious and emotional awareness about this we think it was eight billion people here how are we going to do this whereas most people in train most people follow you know in um, australia we have yellow bins that are for recycling and most people put their stuff in the yellow bin not because they're environmentalists it's because that's what we do <laughs> okay so we've got to think of it like this is most people are doing eating the flesh and reproductive secretions of animals not because they're bad people it's well that's what i was brought up to do and i thought it was good for me and um so there's no bad news about veganism that's a wonderful saying there's no argument that you can't win of the benefits ethically morally spiritually health-wise environmentally economically we just got to be able to break the chance and get through yeah thanks Deb. thanks for everything you're doing yeah so this is informative and practical Deb says and that's really very true and um ashley loves how you mentioned the day you said so nice to meet a fellow vegan to an animal lover and um that same technique could potentially work on people who claim to love the earth but eat animals yeah, that's um, right or they love their health. Oh gosh, I take health seriously. Oh, fantastic. You're on a whole plant-based diet then. Great. Yeah. No. Oh no, I'm on a 100% carnivore diet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then you would ask them questions instead of hurling at them and that they're actually destroying their microbiome and adding all sorts of grief and pain into their bodies that is getting acted out in the real world. You go, oh, okay, how come you're doing that? Tell me more. And most people have read an article in the magazine. They don't do the research. If not, they would know that that is the worst for the planet for them. Yeah. 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 I like that about the asking questions. I think, yeah. I think so often, you know, especially for me early on my vegetarian and then vegan journey, my tendency was to feel somewhat defensive or reactive, you know, to people's yeah. comments. But the way you're framing it by asking a question to understand more why they're saying what they're saying, it really opens up the door for us to have a much more meaningful. Yeah. way to engage and to maybe like you say help them along that continuum of awareness you know realizing yeah. that probably most of us unless we were born vegan had a time that we yeah. were not aware and that we probably went along a journey even if we changed seemingly overnight there were probably a lot yeah. of seeds planted um before before we became vegan for most of us yeah. even if we weren't fully aware so I, yeah. I love that idea. Yeah. Can I add something to that? It's yeah. actually, I don't tell people I'm vegan. It's because we've gone somewhere, say you've gone somewhere at an event and someone's bringing um, around, you know, some snacks or something. I, I personally, I do not eat in the presence of other people eating animals. I feel I'm going to cry and it upsets me. That's my choice. Okay. And, and my family are in a different country, my extended family. So it's a little bit easier. Um, so, and some people think it's a great way to advocate. Each of us have to decide. But I actually, I could be somewhere where they bring around cheese and biscuits or something, okay? And they say, oh, would you like some of this? If I say I'm vegan, they'll come up with, oh, I think we've got a vegan option. End of story. Always put the animals up front. I say, no, thank you so much. I don't need animals. Oh, no, it's not animals. It's cheese. And go, ah, oh, well, actually, do you know where cheese comes from? You're back into the questioning. Put the animals, and also because there is a prejudice about vegan, okay? But they would go, oh, isn't that wonderful? I'm trying to be a person who doesn't use and exploit animals. They don't. They say, don't tell me what to do. You hold up the traffic when you do your protests. You think you're better than us. 
um, we need to eat, they go down this pathway. So I always put the animals up front because no one's going to go, yeah, I love abusing animals. Mm. Or very few. And they're not, we'll, we'll leave those, we'll deal with the low hanging fruit. Mm. Yes. Well, I want to ask, does anybody else watching have any final comments or questions or were there any that I missed, Marikita, that um, jumped out at you? Um, well, I just was watching. It looks like that Miriam was having some issues, but I feel like she, she was getting a lot. Of, she was saying that she was so thankful for this uh, program, so that this was perfect timing for her. And so, you know, and here's a comment that she had said. You know, that's what I should have done instead of ranting. Oh, I'm so embarrassed. I just want to say, Miriam, we're all on the journey, and there's not one of us that hasn't said the wrong thing. And so, you know, like Claire's saying, self-care and compassion. And you, you all, everyone watching, it's just, you are beautiful saviors. So my heart goes out to you. So really, I love what Claire's saying about the self-care. Really show yourself some love tonight. And thank you, Miriam, for being so honest, you know, and, and spreading that love to yourself. Mm, yeah absolutely um ashley has said something there is thank um no it's actually the facebook user sorry is they took the liberation pledge so they don't eat in the presence of other people now that is really interesting because if people don't know what a liberation pledge is it's a three-part um, statement to the world um i tell myself i'm on a virtual liberation pledge for instance i'll buy a coffee where people are buying donuts that have animal products in them um, but i won't eat in a restaurant that is or in the presence of people's homes i took the liberation pledge the liberation pledge is where someone says i will not eat animals i will not eat in the presence of animals and i will actually advocate now the first liberation pledge to give us really hope and inspiration was actually in communist china and it was actually under um, when, the, when there was you know, foot binding, an awful practice of binding the feet of young girls and babies, which was a terrible thing because nails still grow and the bones were broken. They bound their feet. As that country became more enlightened, and parents were doing what parents do, they want, don't want the best for their children on the whole, um, a number of families came together and they said, we are not going to do that. We are not going to allow our girls to marry boys, often arranged marriages there, that actually believe in um, fruit binding, and we're going to tell the world about this. Okay, now that was a huge thing under an emperor or whatever to actually go against that. That was the first liberation pledge. That was the beginning as they shared, they didn't do it. They wouldn't let them continue it by going into families where they continued it. And they told people, and that's how it spread. And they believe that that was the beginnings of the ending of fruit binding in China. Mm -hmm. Now, if that doesn't inspire us to have an animal liberation pledge, <laughs> yeah. what does? So I hope when I heard that, I thought, wow, this is so powerful. And but each of us must decide, because I know a lot of colleagues and, and friends that go, no, I, I don't advocate when people are putting things in their mouth, but it's a great opportunity. And each of us must decide. If we knew the one best way, I can assure you we will be doing it. <laughs> yes, well, I do want to mention too, for those that are watching the recording or still watching us now, um, We Did It.Health has um, collaborated with Claire Mann to create a masterclass based on the Vegan Voices videos that she shared that are free for you to watch. And this more intensive class that's based on those videos is offered to people who are members of the premium community at we did it.health. And 
It's a 10 week course that dives in more deeply to discuss the videos and practice some of the ideas from it. And Marikita and I are, are um, facilitators for it. And we've kind of worked with Claire to help to, you know, develop the idea for the course curriculum. And Claire has said she might pop in at least briefly in one of the sessions. So um, we're looking forward to that. Um, the enrollment is limited for the live, it's a live class. Um, so it's limited to the first 25 people and um, it will be starting actually next Thursday, um, which is June 15th here in the United States um, at 7 p.m. Eastern time for Claire in Australia. I think it's the next day at, at 9 a.m. Yes. Um, but I'm going to put in the chat uh, or in the comments the link that if you're interested in knowing more about it, um, it's this we did it dot health dot teachable dot com with more stuff after it. Um, so there'll be information um, if you go to we did it dot health. You know, um, I think Marikita, where, where's a good place for them to find out more about it? Is it would it be like on the description in the YouTube? Um, it should be in all the descriptions. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. yeah. Awesome. So if you want to learn more about it, um, we yeah. do hope to offer it again, too. It is um, already over half filled. So um, yeah. we hope that someday we'll be able to offer it again if you miss it this time around. So yeah. I, I'd like to say that I, you know, I'm so thrilled you're doing this because whilst a lot of people, people can sign up for Vegan Voices, the video, the 30 mini videos, some are one minute, some are six minutes, and with a description as well, you can get that free. However, we need to create habits and that's why we've got it over 30 days where we need to practice, practice, practice. And so I love what you've done and you've got two top-notch facilitators here who are going to break you into groups, get practice, and that's where we, you know, really become an advocate for change. So um, I really encourage people to, to join that, yeah, and just find out some more. Well, thank you. And, you know, if the class fills up or the time doesn't work for you, if you are in that premium community, if you go to this website and kind of follow the, the prompts, you'd have access to like an evergreen version of it at some point. So, so we will fill the live class, I'm sure. But um, for those that maybe that can't take it at that time or just want to do it on their own or the class fills, there will still be like a, a version of it where you can at least catch the recordings. So, so yeah, well, any final thoughts or anything player before we wrap up? No, and just, well, thank you to everybody um, who has come to this call. You are, we really are the ones we've been waiting for is um, keep going, be inspired, be, you know, it, it gives us such meaning and purpose to, to come into this world and leave it in a better place than we joined it. That, how much more worthy is that, whatever our circumstances are? I've never seen, and I'm sure our two, all of us, the three of us on here, I've never seen people truly happy in their lives and when they're not doing, you know, the people I find are truly happy in their lives are ones that do something outside of themselves to make the lives of others better. You know, so for me, you know, I'm, I'm so passionate, so all of us are here about our non-human animals and, uh, and I think that's a pathway to our own freedom. I really do. Awesome. Well, there were a lot of people very appreciative that you were here. And I know there's many people that will also be watching the replay who couldn't catch it live. Um, but this was just wonderful. And we just are so appreciative.